0: Hi, this is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations. Here goes for today. Ron, race, reconciliation, and equity. Yes. Is that still an active group?
1: Yes. Uh, In fact, if you wanna hear us out, that's primarily a Jefferson Parish group. You mentioned Karen Carvin. She's been part of a few of them. Uh, It's been going on for about two years now before I thought you used to do
0: it a long time ago. I seem to remember some kind of a group like
1: that. I'm so old, I've been in a whole bunch of things. Going back to the creation of the Human Relations Committee. Right. So we started uh, voluntarily with uh, talking about Jefferson Parish primarily. And uh, it's very informal. Uh, It's a safe spot. Everything we say is confidential. Uh, So we try to create free exchange of ideas. And it's data driven. And we pick different topics and then uh, different ones of us will invite speakers or we'll do our own research. And we have an open discussion uh, from a multi-racial group of primarily folks in Jefferson Parish. Uh, And recently the Jefferson Parish Foundation, which is, I don't know exactly who they are but I think they're part of the United Way. They hired a staff person to to help uh, sponsor this.
0: Yeah, okay, so I know you all haven't talked since what happened yesterday. Uh, right, yet. that's correct. But I'm sure that you can um, share, first of all, your own perspective, uh, and I know it's gonna be a little bit redundant because I think that the response to it has been almost universal, except for a couple um, folks like that Holly guy. So um, I hope that... Um, um, you you ha- can share with me um, some of your thoughts on what happened, but um, in particular, I'm interested in the accountability issue. I think this um, idea of the 25th Amendment is a is a um, you know is a pipe dream that's not going to happen. There's not enough time you can't get two-thirds of the congress to do it, the cabinet he's gonna is gonna shuffle out old guys and bring in new flunkies so it's not it's not realistic so how do we deal with the accountability issue how do we deal with going forward and how do we deal with reconciliation and to what extent I mean there's a lot of people who feel that most of the 74 million um, are racist and I would agree that probably a majority are, but I also think that there's a percentage of that group that um, are disenfranchised, disillusioned, uh, don't have jobs, manufacturing jobs are gone, family can't go to college, all that. And so they are um, frustrated and angry. And if you look at history, every revolution has been driven by people who um, don't have a future. Mm-hmm. So. I know that that's not a popular point of view, especially not in Louisiana, where we've um, suffered uh, maybe more than most. I don't know if that's true or not, but certainly a lot uh, from pure racism. Enough of what I have to say. You you give me your thoughts.
1: Well, obviously, you know, you you raise some valid points and a very complex, you know, 74, 75 million people voted. I agree with you. Not all of them are racist, okay? Uh, but it's about fear. And Donald Trump and his rhetoric has stoked the fear among the races and ordinary folks who are suffering. Suffering economically, suffering in the cultural wars who have different views from us. Those of us who voted for the 78 million, we have to be aware of this. And the challenge is going to be, how do we... At least keep the doors open for some reasonable people so that we're not a country that's divided 50 50, okay? Because we're divided 50 50. And that's going to lead to a lot of things concerning uh, not classifying all the 75 million as racist, but trying to find common ground. And there's going to be a battle within a Democratic Party. We got to that. There's going to be some progressive members of our party who want instant accountability, you know, want uh, prosecution of Trump and all his people. And again, I said uh, accountability is important, but we're in a situation similar to what happened in South Africa, okay? When South Africa moved itself from apartheid, they created a reconciliation committee and it disclosed a lot of things, but some people wanted a lot of things and uh, its leader Mandela decided to have the reconciliation committee But they didn't punish a lot of folks who were guilty of the things they found. We may have to look at some form of reconciliation commission in this country to deal with all the damage that Trump has done, not only in terms of social issues, but that he's done to our governmental institutions. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that he, you know, there's corruption, you know, he destroyed, I used to work for the Justice Department Civil Rights Division, and not only civil rights division, which is always controversial, but he destroyed, you know, the Justice Department. Entirely. You know, he's yeah. he's 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 damaged our court system for, for decades to come. You know, and almost any governmental institution you look at, he's damaged it. So we're gonna have a problem in terms of reconciliation of our people, and how do we strengthen and to the best state way we can our governmental institutions, which make this country the country it is so
0: if, if if you're to speculate i know that you had to get past what was happening yesterday uh, it, it was hard to get past it i mean you couldn't do anything else i i tried to work all day and night yesterday doing something i was on deadline with but um you know in my ear all day and night was uh what was going on i had msnbc on and the whole time and and uh, it was hard to but you had to have been thinking already i know that the kind of person you are, just as you're talking about reconciliation, you had to be thinking about how, how we go forward. So how do we achieve that reconciliation? And then I really wanna talk about Louisiana and how we um, free ourselves, free ourselves from the suppression, I would say not just white suppression, but just the Republican suppression of um, any kind of democracy in our state. So. Uh, let's do f- f- part one. Um, what was your initial thought about how we move forward towards reconciliation as a, as an outcome of, of what you saw yesterday?
1: Well, to, to address two things you mentioned and other people are, are addressing, basically the implementation of the 25th Amendment, I don't think that's gonna happen. No. Uh, Schumer is also talking about uh, impeachment again. I don't think there's time no. to do that. So no. I think what we need to do as a country our leaders is to put up as many informal protections as we can, you know, get immediately, get business, you know, to support uh, the transition and urge the Trump as much as possible to basically not do anything, <laughs> you know, let, let, let Pence run things for these next 13 days, get the military to sign off on additional levels. They've done some of these things. And the big fear is, is that Trump is gonna do something crazy. The craziest thing is start a war somewhere, okay? But he's also gonna do some other crazy things like pardon as many people as possible. Some things can be done informally to stop, to avoid his crazy orders, okay? The military has a legal obligation not to obey any illegal orders. And if there's an attempt to convince the Pentagon and our national security people, that they won't follow any of his orders. That's one way. But we can't stop him from pardoning people. He can, in fact, pardon people. all those crazies who come, who participate in that stuff yesterday. And that is a problem now. I've gotten calls last night and today from my friends of color who said, look, if these were Black folks and the Black Lives Matter, they would not only shot them, but arrest all of them. Yeah, they didn't do that, okay? I mean, they arrested yeah. some inside. That was so stark, and that, and they uh, that was picked up so early on
0: in all of the commentary uh, throughout the country that um, comparing uh, Lafayette Square and the Bible Walk, as I call it, and um, and the uh, and the way these people were just allowed to kind of shuffle their way through the entire building, it was just the most bizarre sight I've ever seen. to Just let these people, in. and you know what? People are saying, oh, there was a security issue, there's problems with the planning. No, those guys in the Capitol Police let those people in, either with permission or orders even from the president or simply their own inclination. Do you agree with that?
1: I agree. And look, I can tell you, I agree with it, but in hindsight, talking about reconciliation, I think that even though it was a security problem, in hindsight, it probably had a better impact from us in the country the fact that they didn't arrest them and beat them up like they would have Black Lives Matter, okay? Because I think it's difficult for white conservatives and Republicans to deny that these guys were crazy, you know, and they should be held accountable. But if they had made more martyrs of them by arresting them, by doing what they did to black folks,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. we
1: wouldn't have gotten, it wouldn't have been the more universal objection to it that we're getting now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, but I, I think if something's gotta be done and it's gonna fall upon Biden and our leadership to say, look, this was an example of racism in terms of how the criminal justice system treats white guys different from black people of color. It's gotta be addressed, okay? Uh, but I think as a practical matter, long-term it's probably better that they didn't kill more people or arrest them the way they would people of color
0: that's very interesting because then it really uh it, it starkly demonstrated this issue of unequal uh, again lack of equity in the treatment of whites and blacks. and
1: look it doesn't it doesn't shift the, the focus from what the ruthlessness and and tyranny of this mob okay because if they would have done something they would have become victims okay And so now they're not victims and everybody, most people recognize that what they did was illegal and tragic for everybody, including our country.
0: I see Schumer is calling for the removal of this president should not hold office one day longer, but how other than the Twenty Fifth Amendment can he be uh, taken out? I, I don't know. Oh well, he should but, be well, taken look, out. Uh, yeah,
1: Twenty Fifth Amendment would be the, the cleanest, easiest, fastest way. I don't think they're going to get two thirds of the cabinet. Okay. No, they're not. And That's... and Pence, Now again. Why is
0: he wasting his time talking about
1: taking him out? It's well, not gonna because happen. you got to keep the pressure. Now, there's a second way to deal with it. They can uh, impeach him again. They have a majority of the House. They have a majority of the Senate. If they would stay in session you know, they could force it the way through because they have a majority of both houses now. I don't think that's likely. I
0: forgot that. But, but no, no, possible. no, but they're not in yet. They're not in yet.
1: Yes, they are. Well, what? they're not in, but they swore in the a new, a new Congress and the new Senate, these people can be sworn in immediately. They can
0: be sworn in immediately.
1: Yes, because, because the new Congress has taken, all the new congressmen and senators were sworn in this past weekend. So these... Oh. Oh. These people were elected, so they can be sworn in as soon as they're certified in Georgia. Now, I don't think it's, it's, it's probable or practical, but that's another, that's another way to deal with it. And you're going to see more people talking about that.
0: That's really interesting. I didn't understand that at all. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that is one possible way to address the issue of accountability. Now let's go on to... Reconciliation, and then I still want to get to Louisiana. And where is our Stacy Adams? And where is our Democratic leadership?
1: I don't know all the answers to it, but I do know our Democratic Party in Louisiana has been disappointing. Okay. Uh, to say the least. And there's a deep divide in it now, okay? Uh, and it's gonna that divide is gonna surface even more so in this upcoming congressional election, okay? Uh I don't know the answer to it, but I do know this. I've worked with what I call grassroots people who are not public figures. And in a race for governor last year, a broad-based coalition of non-political groups, fraternities, sororities, churches, neighborhood associations, none of whom were elected officials, got together and did what Stacy and her group did in Georgia. And in fact- Wait, they did that where? In Louisiana, in a a general election last year for governor. If you remember, you're political enough, the governor and and his crack advisors thought they could win the first primary. They didn't. And they did what a lot of democratic operatives do. They took the black vote for granted, spent all their money on TV media, and didn't put any money into voter registration or voter turnout. And look, that's a historical issue that I know I've always had with white politicians in this state and this country. And again, they have certain grassroots organizations, both formal and informal, that have been working on voter registration and voter turnout. And I was the first time I was involved with them, they were effective in the governor's race last year. This was a group, they went under several names. Uh, there's a, a formal structure group in Baton Rouge called the Power Coalition. Uh, they're funded by somebody, I'm not sure who, but their primary purpose you know, is community organization. Uh, they have a statewide network. Uh, we set up a statewide network voluntarily of groups such as uh, fraternities, sororities, Uh, neighborhood organizations, uh, mentoring groups, groups that are uh, purposely non-political, okay? Most of them, the organizations themselves are 50 uh, or tax exempt organizations. So they, they cannot support candidates, but they can get involved in issues such as voter registration and turnout. They were extremely effective in the governor's race. And because of their efforts, just like what happened in Georgia, where in a general or runoff election turnout usually goes down, in last year's governor's uh, runoff election turnout increased. White turnout increased based on Republicans' actions, but more importantly, black turnout increased, and the governor won by forty-five thousand votes. And in the first, in the second congressional district, alone, he got an additional forty-nine thousand black votes. So there's no doubt that the effort paid off.
0: Let's go back to um, the fact that uh, a similar effort to line up these various groups, uh, the sororities and fraternities and the um, religious organizations, neighborhood organizations uh, made a difference in uh, John Bell Edwards' um, reelection.
1: Yes, and again, the evidence of that was the fact that as a general rule, especially in high profile elections like President, governor, mayor, the highest turnout is in a primary election. And as a result of that, Republicans know that if they can drag into runoff, that's a disadvantage. And that's the challenge they were facing in Georgia. The Republicans were hoping that they would have a turnout, but the folks in Georgia, even though the turnout was less, a, a few points less than it was,
0: November, oh, I thought
1: it was better. I thought it went it, up. It, it was about the same, a few points less, in fact, okay? But in Louisiana, the turnout was higher in the runoff than in the, in the primary election. Now, that's the point I was trying to make, and a, a large part in, due, in effort due to these, these organizations, these nonprofit, political groups.
0: But the people who were organizing that, again, that was not the Democratic Party.
1: That's right. That? That's the point I wanted to make.
0: OK, that's the point I want to make. I want to say, where? Where is, where's the meat? Where's the Democratic Party in the state of Louisiana? What is going on? I have never seen, I, I'm not going to say I've never seen, but it's, it feels like there's just no real energy behind the leadership of the Democratic Party.
1: Well, and you're oh. right. And, and No, you're right. I agree. And, and here's what I see. Okay, the Democratic Party is split. Okay, obviously right now the Democratic Party means basically... Uh, black elected officials, okay? (laughs) The only white elected official you have in the state who are Democrats is the governor and I think maybe uh, Paul Connick and Jefferson Parish. So white white elected officials, Democratic officials are dinosaurs. So the party, in fact, and in perception, is perceived as an African-American group. And when our friend Karen Carter was the uh, chairman, there was a lot of division in the party. In fact, when the governor first ran against his first primary election, there was some friction because Karen didn't support him initially. Okay. And he remembers that. Mm. And he put up a slate to oppose her. And even though Karen didn't run, I think he didn't run because she knew she probably couldn't win. So, The governor put his people in charge. And again, the governor is successful because he's taken a very practical but conservative approach to the Democratic Party, Uh, i.e. he supports, uh, he's against abortion. Uh, He's a strong supporter of the Second Amendment and gun rights, things, important issues to Democrats nationally that if he would have run as a typical democrat he probably couldn't have won.
0: Not to creates... mention support for the petrochemical industry. That's which right. It's a commitment to the past and that's not right. The future. So he's and not the typical Biden, democratic
1: party. He's not a progressive by any means but as a practical realistic sense he probably could not have won if he didn't take those conservative positions he took. But the downside to the democratic party is not is that even though he's the governor He's not the best person to lead the party. That's the point I was trying to get to. Why not? Because of his positions. I mean, just think of, you know, he won by what I call default. You know, black folks who believe in in environmental Mm -hmm. equality, women who believe in uh, choice, you know, uh, folks who believe in gun control. We had no choice. But he's not going to be advocate for that. So as a result we have this tension in the party where even though the republic the top person in the state should be the leader
0: he's
1: not the, he's not the first choice of a leader on important issues to women and minorities
0: How do we get out of this how do we how do we get some fire in the bellies of democrats going forward how do we count how, how do we do what Georgia did I watched Georgia do this and we have a higher Black population in Louisiana than in Georgia. Am I right? Am I right yep. about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, how can we not do what Georgia did? Where's well, our Stacey Adams?
1: That, that's right. We need a Stacey Adams, okay? But as I was telling somebody over the weekend, because you were saying, you know, what do you think? A lot of people are talking about this. Georgia is different from Louisiana. Atlanta is different from New Orleans. The key to turning Georgia purple, and right now blue because there's two senators, was a combination of things. The black turnout turned out, but also there's a larger white professional class in Georgia than there is in Louisiana. Georgia has several Fortune 500 companies where intelligent, progressive mind whites move there and they bring their viewers. We don't have that in Louisiana. That's why you see our Senator Kennedy, who's thinking about running for, who has to run for re-election, he knows Georgia's different from Louisiana. So even if we turned out the maximum number of African-American votes, he still would win with all those redneck whites.
0: Huh. Okay. So what do we do about that? If that's the key, if that's
1: a demographic uh, issue. Yeah, here's my view of things. You got to play the cards you are dealt with. Even though we don't have Fortune 500 companies that give jobs and attracts bright young people, black and white to Louisiana, we lose most of our bright young people to be honest with you, like Georgia does, we have to play the cards we are dealt with. And you're right, we have to basically get our democratic party to be a more aggressive leader. Uh, And we have to, this debate as an old political hack, In dealing with Democratic candidates that look, whenever you deal with a a white Democratic candidate, whether it's the governor or anybody else, they come to Louisiana and say, we want your vote. We want to be on your ballot. They'll pay for your ballot, but they'll put mostly money and not enough money in organizing and getting the vote out. They think that blacks have no options so that I call it the Obama and Morial effect. They think that if they can get put Morial Obama on a ballot. That's all black folks need. They don't have to put money into organizing, registration, and field work. That's what Georgia, the Georgia example proved that that's what you need to do. Stacey Abrams was a beneficiary of it, but she has millions of dollars in an organization she's working behind. And she's getting millions of dollars from the national organization to fund these efforts that need to be done from organizing and putting money in the field to get this done.
0: Let let me ask you a question about those millions of dollars. So I I get the um, cause, I think it's called cause uh, emails, you know, all day long. And they they ask me to sign on to certain issues. And I I always agree with the issues, but then they they want money. I'm unfortunately not in the uh, donor class at the moment, but um, is that money coming from all those little, those emails and all that little money? If that's the if that's the case, why can we not do that here? Or is the money that she's uh, she's working from money from the the
1: corporations, the the big guys? Or is, if, I, if, I know it's probably both. I, I think I think most of our money is coming from, quote, business, and liberal groups like the Soros groups and uh, the WalMarts. I'll mention you know you're you're familiar to uh, some of those I, groups. Some Wait. of the some of Walmart family groups, okay? Oh Walmart.
0: So, so she's getting so money. You know the
1: Walmart's a Republican. I know. But they I are know. liberals. I liberal. family members. Yeah. But and also from entertainers. And the key is she's she's created, and that's what she's done now. She decided not to run for office, but to take over this position. She's created an organization that has credibility that these organizations will contribute to. We don't have that credible structure in Louisiana.
0: Can we get her to come here? <laughs> can she? Isn't she going to branch out and do more? And well, other I stuff suspect she will. She
1: can. She now has a brand that she can franchise. Okay, that's yep. what I think. Yep. And and it's her, and it's also the former U.S. attorney. I can never remember his name. Uh, who used to be the U.S. attorney uh, for Obama? You know, right. he's handling
0: What's his
1: name? He's handling the legal side of it, okay. In terms of fighting these voter suppression, yeah. uh oh. So both these people have realized that you have to have a structure and organization that goes beyond just political structures.
0: Okay, I I, I think that I, I I'm pretty clear that um, I've got the point. Now, is there anybody on the landscape here? Uh, uh, who can rise to that role uh, that can be, if not a Stacey Abrams, as close to it as we can get. Again, you mentioned um, the power group in Baton Rouge. The Power Coalition.
1: The Power Coalition.
0: coalition. Okay. So uh, is that strictly a Baton Rouge based or are they trying to Well, uh, technically it's state,
1: but it's, it's centered in Baton Rouge. Keep in mind, that Baton Rouge is not only the largest city in there, but Baton Rouge has more black voters in the, in the past couple of years voting than New Orleans.
0: What? I didn't know that. Yes. I'm learning a lot from our interview, uh, Ron. I really, I really appreciate you sharing with me these perspectives now. Um, all right, so next steps. Um, let's, let's be very precise. How, how do you view the key next steps right now um, coming out of the accountability issue, the reconciliation issue, and um, organizing uh, more effectively in Louisiana. So bring that down to a soundbite for me.
1: <laughs> uh, the
0: soundbite business, sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think
0: short term. No, like, like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, it's the economy, stupid. So what, what is it in our case now?
1: Well, Well, it's field work,
0: uh, you're saying, really, stupid.
1: It's field work, but it's also, the next two weeks are going to be important, but I I think it's going to be crucial for for Biden to have an aggressive 100-day plan, and his plans got to first include, obviously, dealing with this pandemic. Look, the pandemic is real. It affects people, and unfortunately, it affects poor people and people of color more than anybody else. I've had two family members and scores of friends who've had the virus. And I have some white friends in Jefferson. They think, you know, they don't think it's a big thing because they don't have any people close to them who've been. That's
0: that's why the rate of infections in Jefferson is now higher than Orleans. That's
1: right. I made that point to them recently. You're absolutely right. And they're criticizing our mayor, uh, our governor, and my friend, the parish president Jefferson, but they're doing the right thing and I hope they stick to it. But getting back to the national thing is there's got to be a reconciliation process. There's still a lot of mistrust and the black community, whether or not it's in Georgia, Louisiana, South Carolina, they're going to look for something in return other than jobs and positions for people of color in the administration. That's gonna be crucial and would we have to do, who are friends, you know, keep pressure on on a Biden administration and develop local structures to deal with these issues? So, so Ron, let me
0: share with you for just a minute um, uh, a my focus. So, my focus is on um, updating our economic development thinking in the state of Louisiana, getting away from the old school um, addiction to um, the drip of of, of petrochemical jobs and, and return on investment from our, um, all of our incredible uh, incentives that we give them and, and try to develop those industries that we have some other uh, important resources in. So I'm a major component of the creative industries, our entertainment people, um, all, obviously the culinary and, and musicians, but all of the other innovative categories Um, We were an innovating state. We did a lot of innovation in our early days, and we need to get back to that in all of the fields. But the creative industries, for me, doesn't mean just the arts. It's not just um, uh, visual performing and media and design. Those are the key, literary, culinary. But it it really uh, uh, goes into our science, our environmental. um, We should be leaders in dealing with the environmental crisis because we're As they say the canaries in the mine were being hit harder than most other places and why aren't we doing more to deal with that and then education if we're not educating our talented creative kids on how to develop careers in the creative industries we are so missing an opportunity it's like leaving oil in the ground and so I say we have to change the paradigm of what we view as economic development and deal with other resources that we have that we have totally neglected. So I'm I'm just taking this moment, taking advantage of this moment, talking to somebody who has a voice in this world. And I've got to see about trying to get more political support for this position. You know that the mayor is going in this direction. Hopefully she's doing well with it, but there are those of us on, uh, uh, who are also working on this besides um, the new group she created in the administration, and we need help. Ron, I need to be a part of your your group. I, I want to be invited, please. Um, well, what I'm going to do is can request, you, but I yeah, need can to you, be a part of your group.
1: Can you send me your email address again and I'm going to put Absolutely. you on the list. Okay, send, send that to me. And I, I, I think we usually have it on the third Thursday of every month. So I think our next meeting which we do by Zoom, is January 21st. And At
0: what time?
1: 8.30.
0: 8.30 in the evening or morning? No, in the
1: morning, a.m. Morning,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> and okay. I know the, the primary topic we're going to talk about, but we may change because of the world's going crazy. What was scheduled for the topic was public education in Jefferson Parish. Uh,
0: okay, well, public education in Jefferson Parish and in general. We've got to... You know, I have a program called Creative Futures where I try to train high school kids uh, who have creative interests on how to build creative careers. And I really want to talk to you about that. Maybe another uh, meeting down the line we can talk about
1: that. And look, let me just dovetail into it because I think you're right. I think Louisiana.
0: I can't see your mouth.
1: (laughs) Oh, Louisiana is uniquely positioned. And I think environmental issues not only global warming but related right. to are going to be water's going to be a big issue
0: absolutely you know, how how
1: we deal with environmental justice is a big right. issue you know and i think there are opportunities for us to do it there's going to be a lot of political and economic opposition to it but already if you look at certain things you see the big petrol companies already looking at change
0: they are they're the, going in that direction and we're going to get left behind if we don't that's change.
1: right that's right. right we should not be left behind we can use this to create an economy that you're talking about. right? So I, I agree with you 100%. We're gonna, I, some little Greg tag groups I work with get opposition because people say oh, talk about the jobs, but there's opportunity there if we take advantage of it. And again, I think one, in addition to folks like you, I think it's important some kind of way to incorporate and include the academic community, the universities in it, okay?
0: Right. I, you know something, I worked um, in the Dinkins administration in New York, and there was a whole push to do, uh, to uh, to take better advantage of all the universities in New York, which they weren't doing, actually. This is the beginning of the 80s that I was up, I'm sorry, the 90s that I was up there. And, and, and there was a realization that there was more to be done using the um, the, uh, the capacity of the of the educational institutions. We have a lot of universities in, in this yeah. region alone. I think um, they're underutilized. And, and, yeah, and we need to do more with it. I um, You made me feel much better, I have to be honest. Uh, coming out of yesterday, it was really a horrible, horrible day. Uh, I'm feeling much better. Although I, I do always say that there's nothing like a crisis to pull back the curtain on the underlying issues that we were not paying attention to, for one, and two, to spark the counter pendulum, move of the pendulum towards getting important things done that we weren't getting done. So maybe this will be motivating for all of us. And um, I I, uh, I understand that uh, your practice may be um, not as active as it was before, but I sure hope you're gonna remain active politically. And I look forward to partnering with you and your group um, we've got to move things on here because louisiana has too much to offer to just roll over and let these the red mob dominate and keep things down we have too no, much to
1: offer i agree look as i said i'm all and harmless person now I said uh, i have nothing i spend more time in my my interest now on my grandkids and i said uh you know whenever i i see some of my old friends like you anything i can do to help okay
0: Anything I can do to help as well. Thank you, Ron Nabon. This has been uh, an important conversation for me. It really uh, brought my spirits back up and I'm looking forward to um, taking advantage of a really hor- horrific moment. So well, look, uh, here we go. En-
1: enjoy talking to you and seeing you, okay?
0: Great, thank Take you care. so much. I uh, am here with a guy who, when he offered to partner with me about, let's see, 1970, no, 1978, 79, I should have done it. And I've regretted it ever since because um, he's quite a, a genius, a form of genius, and he's a media guy and he knows how to get a message across. And so I was really anxious to talk to him today about how we are going to reach those people of the 74 million who are reachable. Um, A lot of people feel that most of them are racists. I I think that's probably true, at least from the standpoint of being economically threatened by anybody else um, and, and wanting to maintain some kind of white supremacy. However, I think a lot of them are also people who Um, have been crushed by the technological revolution that we're in and and have have suffered from both parties failing to address the importance of bringing along people of the lower and middle classes into the tech age through education, through training, through uh, trying to make sure they have entree to what we used to call equal opportunity, the basic principle of our country. So that's my standpoint on this. But um, Gino, let, let me hear from you on, on, can we reach them? And if so, how?
2: I think we can, I hope we can, I think we must. <laughs> um, and I think your uh, perspective on, on on race and racism is, is accurate. Um, and let me just back up when you talked about sit- Back in the '70s, I mean, even earlier than that, in 1964, I moved to Shreveport, Louisiana, from Pittsburgh, and I—that's when I encountered racism uh, right in front of me uh, in the streets and in restaurants and doctors' offices everywhere. And that's at age 18, I decided to become involved in politics because I—I I thought that what I saw in the capital of the Confederacy, west of the Mississippi, was uh, disgusting and. And un-American, and and just mean and ugly, um, and here we are, you know, um, fifty years, sixty years later, um, and we're still dealing with it. So I think we have to make the effort to reach some of those, some of those folks. And I think in many cases the racism is, it's subtle, it's nuanced, it's opaque, and we have to try to understand it and and try to reach those people. So I I worked on the Obama campaign and I I wondered wh- why are some whites not voting for him. They say they're not racist and but they like him and all this and that and I I got to thinking about it. I was living I had lived in New Orleans as you know for a number of years and I I I just got to thinking about it and talked to a friend, a good friend of mine who's a psychiatrist and and we, we got to thinking about it and we came to the conclusion that uh, a lot of white folks didn't like the idea of a, of a black man being president. Not that they were racist or didn't like him or think he was qualified, but their experience, their life experience with black people has been as, as people who take care of their kids, as people who, who cut their grass, as people who park their cars, and not as... As the professional lawyers and doctors and elected officials, and so a lot of those folks um, felt that a member of the servant class should not be president. And so oh, I don't know if it's I don't the know
0: if this thing classist
2: thing. So I don't know if you can ever get through that, past that kind of ignorance. But I think for others, you know, there used to be the Blue Dog Democrat. There used to be the Democratic Party used to have have a bigger tent and you could be a little conservative and still be a Democrat. And we could debate on issues, policy issues, such as tax or education or Medicaid things. We could we could debate those things, but you still felt that you belonged in the party. So I think the Democratic Party um, needs to make an effort just like the progressives in the party are making an effort to or to to lean more toward the left and more toward um, healthcare for all and 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 um, reallocating police funds, well, I think cons- there can be a room for moderate to conservative Democrats in the party. So I think politically, the party can make that kind of an effort, and I think uh, that. In other areas, such as messaging, I think they need to be more all-inclusive as well. And um, I don't have the answer or the solution, but I think just in those two general directions, in terms of the National Party and also in terms of messaging and and inclusivity, I think there's a lot of work that can be done there. And I I think that with Biden in the White House and Kamala Harris and and other people that he's hiring, I think we're going to be moving in that direction.
0: So I, I also have a lot of just very personal anecdotal experience with both friends uh, in New Orleans, um, people I, uh, uh, I consider good old friends who are Trumpsters. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a cousin who's a Trumpster. And I asked my cousin one day, you know, I mean, we, we send you, I send him articles from the New York Times and he says, I don't read that rag, that you know, fake media. And then he'll send me something from, you know, um, uh, one of his uh, conspiracy-laden social media sources, and I'll say, I don't read that fake media. Uh, and and I asked him finally, so what is it? What? What? Why are you uh, supporting him? Mm-hmm. And he said that he f- favored his immigration policies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that was the the key issue that really stuck out. I don't. There were a couple other issues, but that was the one that was really dominant for him. He lives in Texas. And I think he, of course, is uh, deals with a, a large Latino population. And um, so that, you know, in states where you have a large um, Mexican population, you find the racism isn't so much against blacks, it's, a, it's more against uh, Mexicans. Um, I, I've experienced that in some visits I had in Santa Fe and New Mexico, I, I was run up against that, I was like, a little bit jaw dropping for me, being used to black racism, and there I was dealing with the. Um, sure, sure. So um, I, 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 I think yeah, moving to more uh, being uh, making our tent wider, but um, it also has to do, it seems to me, with a a, a, a presumption. Of elitism on the part of Democrats, and of course, Hillary, some of Hillary's statements um, fueled that. Mm. And haven't forgotten that. deplorables is, is a is, is a word in the vocabulary of any Trumpster. And then um, I think that uh, there's also um, a disinclination to to uh, be open uh, on on issues in general. Just a kind of um, a rigidity, or a um, uh, kind of feeling like they have to take a stand, and and stick with it. A, a, a certain, you know, wanting to have an identity that is strong against the elitist snobism that they perceive to be characteristic of Democrats. Disagree?
2: Well, I agree wholeheartedly, and and um, and I think your statement is ironic in that that. People perceive the Democrats as being elite, and yet you just saw two Republican senators in Georgia defeated. One just became a billionaire, um, and the other uh, was, it was it insider stock trading, yada yada. Um, so you know, I mean, these people have just as much money and went to the same prestigious schools as their elitist Democratic colleagues did. So, so that's all bullshit. Am I allowed to say that on air? We'll' that we'll
0: out. <laughs> we'll leave but Dana actually let me just move I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to move to um, a core point that I was trying to get to that I didn't quite get to and that is um, uh, how did Republicans who were the party of the business class and the elites persuade working class Americans, Lower-income Americans to think that that party was for them, which was always a total bamboozle, which is a word I learned from Spike Lee from his movie, um, and 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 we have not figured out how to recapture our long-standing um, embrace of the working classes. I mean, I think it has to do with our failure to really programmatically address what's going on with people and um, not addressing the core technological revolution that we're dealing with. That's my opinion, but what about yours?
2: I think that it's a psychological consideration uh, that they embraced. They they played on issues of fear, anxiety, xenophobia, as you pointed out earlier, uh, traditional conservative paternalism fear of of the unknown. And they they used, as Trump did, and others, they used those, those techniques to, uh, to convince people and I think, you know, look, look at David Duke, he did the same thing. He got a majority of of white voters and the majority of white people in Louisiana are not racist. I don't think they are, Um, yet they voted for David Duke. So you know, the psychologists will tell us that there is a fear and flight syndrome that um, politicians can manipulate. And uh, neuroscientists will tell us that the the amygdala of extreme conservatives is different than that of more progressive people. And that, that's where empathy lies and, and compassion and concern for others. Um, so maybe there's something going on that, that we don't understand as, as political as applied political scientists, but that is more scientific and, and, and brain related, I don't know. But I do know that, that many Republicans and, and the most recent example would be in Georgia where they did things like uh, Senator Loeffler would run ads, print ads and TV ads of her opponent, um, making him darker, making the skin darker than it actually was. So as to scare people, you know, here's a man, you can't even see his skin. All you see is his eyes and his teeth. He's scary. He's dark. He's black. He's going to come into your neighborhood, as Trump used to say. And so we need to arm ourselves. We need to protect ourselves against these evil people who who are going to, uh, you know, that's just so disgusting. I hate to even talk about it. But that's the reality of it, that's what they did. That's how they, a lot of these, these conservative right-wing Republicans did it. And they have the nerve, the gall and the audacity to call themselves Christian. My father was a Christian minister. He never taught me that kind of crap. Yeah, he taught me you're supposed to care for people, all people, especially those who are less fortunate than you. You're supposed to love everybody. Um, and so when I see what some of these evangelicals are doing and how they're treating people and the things they're saying I, I, I'm just really appalled by it.
0: So, so let's let's talk about that for a minute, because I, I haven't really focused on that. But the evangelicals—that—that that is such a cynical, cynical universe, mm-hmm. where, as you said, Christians are supposed to have empathy and and concern for other people, do unto others, etc. Mm-hmm. And and yet these guys, all all they care about is beating the drum on right to life as a um dog whistle for getting their people to endorse them but what the hell are they getting out of that that's what i don't understand what are they getting out of that they have to be getting something out of it or they wouldn't be doing it
2: yeah well they're 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 concerned for right to life ends at birth after that they don't give a damn right they, I, I mean they don't give a damn about babies in cages they don't care about people being executed you know, so I wonder about the, about these folks and what their real motives are.
0: Yeah, what are they, but, but that's, a, that's what I'm asking. What, what are they gaining from focusing on that one? Because I, I, this is, I've been asking this for a long time. Why on earth are we dominated by that one issue which has nothing to do with whether government is doing its job of helping us all reach for the fundamental American principle of equal opportunity?
2: Yeah, I mean, if they were that concerned, why why don't they encourage their representatives in their um, districts to to come up with money for education so that you can teach the young people in schools about birth control, about um, responsible sexual behavior? They don't care. They don't give a damn about that. It's just this issue of abortion. And, and who cares about a woman's rights? Um, but so, I mean, I, I don't know how their, their minds work and what they get out of it. That, that's a good question. Um, but uh, I do know that, that it just seems to me that they're hypocritical and for them in their, in their churches to preach that, that Trump is their savior and he was sent by God and all this other ridiculous nonsense it's, uh, it's pretty outlandish.
0: So, so, Dina, let's go get back on track and talk about the future and messaging in a way that can alter the balance uh, mm-hmm. to, 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 to see how we can reach those people amongst the 74 million who are reachable. Let's assume that there are some people, whether it's for this religious fanaticism or it is for racism, are not reachable. What about those who are reachable? What about the ones who voted for Obama, for example, or who could be reached by a more moderate message from the Democrats or or feel that the Democrats are not just for the poor and the black or whatever. Um, If you're messaging to them, and I know you do that, you're doing that for your clients, what's the message?
2: I think the message is that um, it's in everyone's best interest to have um, an attitude, an ethos, a way of life that that benefits us all, and um, you know, and to take issue with certain right wing dogma that that espouses things like shutting down um, diabetes clinics in the inner city where, where people really depend on that they're cutting Medicare and Medicaid um, and to explain to people that this is not in their best interest um, and so you know the messages need to be pragmatic and I think they also need to be inspirational and motivational and it's it's a tricky thing because in many cases you're talking about 30 seconds you know if you're doing a television campaign and how do you do that in 30 seconds you have to be very careful, um, and the other way to do it is to is to find people who who changed their way of thinking, and maybe who voted for Trump and maybe reevaluated. I mean, right now, as of as of a little while ago, I think six members of the administration resigned.
0: Six uh, members now. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, and 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 they don't want to be part of this anymore. You know, and I think- Well,
0: you know, I would, I would get that, that to me is a little bit more about political expediency than anything. Um, so they, they see that, uh, they see the whole Trump um, machine maybe going down and they want to jump yeah, off- Yeah,
2: they're, they're rats off a sinking ship. And I, yeah, I think that that, exactly. they, that, that they have created their own political purgatory and that history will judge them unkindly. And that many of the voters in their districts and states We'll treat them unkindly in the next election. So I think that that the disgusting, outrageous visuals from yesterday, and I'm just 10 miles upriver from where it happened at the Capitol. I think that is the, the sort of enduring epitaph of this administration. So I think in the messaging, as far as a tactic, I was talking to my wife, who's also my partner in this stuff, Those images from yesterday are gonna be images that Democrats, and yes, maybe even some Republicans can use two years, four years from now and say, do you want to go back to this, to where our country was, to this sort of mentality, this ethos, this political uh, way of of thinking and being. And so I I think that, that the clever, people in political media and strategy at two years and then four years will probably ask you to look back on these past four years and yesterday in particular and say, do you want to go back to this? Is this making America great again? Um, So I think it's an opportunity for Democrats, for Republicans, uh, independence and look I have a lot of Republican friends up here and and they're fine people and we sometimes have arguments about policy and things like that but I know them I like them I trust them they're they're great parents they're they're uh, generous um, and I, I long for the day when I can sit down with my Republican friends and debate issues you know and not worry about um, flagrant uh, behavior and, 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 and stuff like that. So I think it's an opportunity for people of goodwill and people in, in politics and government to really make some changes and make some progress. And I wish I could be more specific than that, but it, it's, it's going to take some, some creative thinking and, and planning and execution.
0: Well, let me just say, uh, since we're almost out of time, we are actually way beyond time already. Oh, sorry. But, um, I so, no, I that, face- uh, not at all. I, I, I could talk to you for two more hours and, and be a happy girl, but um, uh, let's conclude on that note of saying that we're gonna look for more creative strategies for reaching people with a different brain structure. When I was first working for McGovern, and I was doing advanced work. Now, I, now at first I started with um, political work. And so I was in Kokomo, Indiana. And just to get a feel for people, because I was coming out of Manhattan. So I was handing out flyers at a supermarket. And I got to where I could pick out who was Republican and who was Democrat. How? I could just look at the, the way their faces were set and know what they were. I wasn't right every time but I was right most of the time. And that goes back to we were talking about the possible kind of genetic issues. But I think that um, it may be that seeking this more empathetic position is going to win, especially if Biden does programmatically strong things that will make a difference. If he just gets up there and keeps saying, hey, we have to be civil and Uh, be nice and nurture and blah 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 and he doesn't do anything and that takes me back to the kind of the Clinton days I was not a big Clinton fan because I just didn't really see the democratic policies I saw republicanism light so I just hope that he will really get some kind of very strong economic development program going I want to check in with you again very soon so let's make this a regular thing if you don't mind maybe I'd
2: I'd love to thank you
0: you know, every few weeks or so I'm gonna check in. So I'd be thinking about how you're gonna tell me we should be um, uh, operating in uh, Louisiana because I, I wanna do something about the politics here and and see if we can um, break through. Uh, I haven't been politically active in a long time because I'm inundated with trying to get New Orleans to commit to this creative industry strategy that I've been working on. And that's all I think about and and do all day. But um, I definitely am, uh, you know, who couldn't be motivated by what we saw yesterday? Yeah. Gino Cedar, I, I will um, look forward to our next conversation. And I know you're going to have some interesting thoughts. And um, I'm going to uh, want you to send me a couple examples of your recent work, because I know I'm going to enjoy seeing it.
2: I will. Thank you very much, Gene.
0: Thank you very much. Take and and um, keep up the fight.
2: You too. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Jean Nathan for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK, what people are talking about.